This episode of Relativity is made possible through the support of Stephen and Catherine Farris, Ryan Farwell, Bill Cariola, Heather Van Waldick, and Michael W. McClure. And by listeners like you, who support us and get exclusive content through patreon.com slash relativity. But I now have life sign readings for three people in the engineering section. Say again. I now have life sign readings for three people in the engineering section. Audio, we've established that is not possible. Nonetheless, I now have life sign readings for three people in the engineering section. Relativity, episode 34, in which she changes her mind. And you're saying they're alive? Affirmative. Nadia, I'm trusting you to be good at logic, being a computer and all, so I want you to tell me how there can be three people at the end of this corridor when I've already accounted for everyone who was ever on this ship. I cannot explain this paradox, Doctor. I apologize for the incomplete information. Wait a minute. I have an idea about this. Computer, according to your tracking of these life signs, how long have they been in engineering? They have been in the engineering section since Sol 1895. The day of the explosion. Uh, right. I see what you're saying, Marcus. Yeah. So, Nadia, you're telling us those people have been in there ever since? Apparently so. Never got hungry? Never left to go to the toilet? It is difficult to explain. Not really. Remember we had figured out that Peter Miblin had figured out how to create false tracking signals so that he could appear to be in two places at once? You getting this, Nadia? The signals you're seeing are the result of some clever tampering with part of your programming. With respect, gentlemen, that seems extremely unlikely. Unlikely? Why? Tampering with my programming would be an extraordinarily difficult task for any member of this vessel's crew, even for this mission's computer systems expert. My former friend Peter was, among other things, a completely brilliant computer genius. Perhaps so but I doubt he was capable of altering such complex and sophisticated programming. That programming includes a colossal ego. Did you know about that? Computer, this is beside the point. We just want you to pump out all the air in the engineering section that has anesthetic gas in it and replace it with fresh air. Safety protocols prevent my exchanging any atmospheric content when crew members are present. My sensors clearly show three people. I have their heartbeats and brain activity. Well, can't you start pumping out the air that contains the gas while you're pumping in fresh air at the same time? I'm afraid not. Well, that may be the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Oh, here's an idea. The computer claims to have identified them as individuals. Ask for their names. Oh, good question, Prithvi. Well done. Nadia, can you do that? Or, or do you just see them as three generic life signs? The persons currently in the engineering section are Aerospace Engineer Yevgeny Kropotkin. Materials Engineer Martin Chesik and Systems Engineer Farida Ibrahim. Well, that is false information, Nadia. You have to ignore that and vent out the gas that's in there so I can get to the airlock. Impossible. The safety protocol supersedes all other commands, including the master command override password. Well, it's official. I have now heard everything. Computer, can you open an intercom channel in there? Certainly. The channel is now open. Attention, this, this is, is Mission Control Arecibo, calling anyone, anyone in the engineering, engineering section of the spaceship can get me. Please, Please respond. Anyone at all? It does seem like they should be able to answer that, Nadia. Wouldn't you agree? 
I feel I should point out that if the atmosphere in that section contains a powerful anesthetic, the people there would very likely be unable to respond. Okay, in which case they are in danger of asphyxiation and it is your responsibility to keep them safe by exchanging the atmosphere in that section. I do see the logic in what you say, Doctor. But my security protocols simply will not permit it. Well, the computer's wrong about that. This must be the result of the counter-programming. Nadia, listen to me carefully. I saw the dead bodies in the sub-zero chamber at the center of the habitat. I was only in there for a single second, but I will never forget that image. There were 18 frozen bodies in there. Three of them had to be Martin and Farida and Yevgeny. So they are not in that compartment, no matter what your sensors are telling you. I'm sorry, but I have not detected them in the habitat, but I do detect them here. So your perspective appears to be the one that is in error. There's no way we can convince you that you're wrong. I am not aware of any way, no. If the computer's been reprogrammed to believe false data, then she's probably right. There's no way to change her mind. You cannot change the mind of a computer because there's no mind present. Huh, well, uh... Nadia, do you have a mind? That is an extremely complex issue, one which has been debated for decades. But I like to think that I do. I hope I have demonstrated that I do. No good. And, and by human definitions, if you had a mind, it could be changed. Possibly. Okay, uh, um, have you ever been in this situation before? You mean, have I been told before that my sensory data is an error? Right. No, I have not. So the experience is novel. It's new to you. Correct. And, and, and you told me recently that you were enjoying working with humans, with, with getting to understand human thought and behavior better. True. So you're, you're learning, you're growing uh, developmentally, learning to think the way we do. I believe so, yes. Okay, well, well, part of human learning is making assumptions and then finding out your assumptions were incorrect that the truth was actually something you had not before experienced. Do you, do you understand? I do. So this is a good example. You're stuck between believing what I'm telling you I have experienced with my human senses and believing your own sensory data, even when experts are telling you that your programming has been compromised. Perhaps, but this does not mean that I am wrong. But think of all the times you've had to tell me I can't trust my own senses. Like, um... Oh, 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 the deer. Remember? I heard voices in the habitat, and the deer, that beautiful doe, bolted at the same time. And I said that meant she'd heard the voices too. In fact, that was a mere coincidence. Right, and I now accept that. Because sometimes judgments made on sensory data are incorrect. Then how do you ever know for certain which information is reliable and which is not? That is a very good question, Nadia, one you should ponder at length. I know that I will. And that's good. But right now, I'd just like for you to recognize that it makes no sense that three crew members have suddenly appeared in the aft section of the ship and have been gassed into unconsciousness and that you should keep that gas in their atmosphere because of a safety protocol that you now have to follow when it was never in your programming before. And God, how my head hurts. Doctor, I believe you are correct. As part of my personal growth, I will change my mind. Really? Are you sure? Yes. I am starting the cycle of atmosphere in the engineering section. 
The compromising gases will be vented out shortly. Nadia, I take back every grouchy thing I've ever said about you. Dr. Mason, I gotta tell you, that was amazing. I've never heard anybody talking AI into something they didn't want to do. Maybe I'm getting smarter with all these head injuries. Well, at the rate the atmosphere is cycling, engineering should be habitable in uh, 11 minutes. All right, then, uh, <laughs> then I'll just uh, wait right here. So, you are leaving? Oh, I was trying to go without waking you. I woke up long ago and could not get back to sleep. I'm sorry. I hope I didn't keep you up with my tossing and turning. No, no. It was only my own invading thoughts. I was hoping you'd get a good night's sleep. And you didn't sleep well? No. I should have just gotten up and, I don't know, made a pot of tea or something. It would have to be something else. The water cleaner is malfunctioning again. Yeah, I just found that out. Have you called someone about it? I have. Will they come? Perhaps. Then will they come? Who knows? I wish I knew how to fix it. I can ask the engineers at Control. Maybe one of them can do it. I would not bother them without troubles. From what you have taught me, they have more than enough troubles of their own. Well, you know how a mission like this is. Nine hours of dull routine, followed by 30 minutes of blind panic. So, who knows? Maybe during one of those quiet stretches, one of my people can find out what's wrong with our water cleaner. (laughs) I hate for you to be alone here and without even any water. I have some clean water stored. Always. I put away enough for Sybil and for me, and now... I have enough, so that's one good thing. I would rather have my daughter back. I know you would, Mama. I want her back, too. I guess... I imagine that's what's kept you up all night. Thinking about Sybil? Of course. And just about the time the sun began to show itself, I came to a decision. What's that? I cannot live the rest of my life thinking, worrying about my baby girl who's frozen into a statue. One day, someone may wake her up, bring her back, but maybe that day would never come. Either way, I will not be here to see it. You will if a cure is found soon, and that is not impossible. I am too old to wait for such things. No, it is better for me to accept that Sybil is dead. She is not dead, Mama. But she must be to me, Sophia. Otherwise, I will never stop waiting for the day when she opens her eyes again. And if I can never stop waiting, I will go completely insane. Mama, I know this may sound like one of us has already gone crazy, but hear me out. I think you have to hang on to the hope of having Sybil in your life again. I can't. I can't do that. You have to. And I can't fully explain why I believe that. I can't even fully explain it to myself yet, but I know that... To decide she's dead is to break one of the most valuable connections in the world, and we we can't do that. People have to remain connected. Because this is what you heard your father saying to you? I still don't believe that that was Papa talking, because I don't believe in... I don't believe the dead can speak to us. I did not receive a message from beyond the grave, and Dr. Mason is not really hearing the voice of his captain who committed suicide. But this is what I was up all night thinking about. He and I heard something, or someone, and there has to be a reason why the voices we both heard said the words, you must remain connected. You told me you thought it was a joke, a prank. I can't believe that anymore. It just doesn't make any sense, and I I know that accepting this as some kind of otherworldly event doesn't necessarily make sense either, but 
I do know that I've been keeping the possibility at arm's length. Like, it's been trying to get close to me, and I've been pushing it away over and over. And if I'm being honest with myself, I have to reconsider. There has to be a logical reason why Dr. Mason and I have both heard voices that said, you must remain connected. So I think there's an intelligence behind this. An intelligence that we just do not yet understand. This does not sound like you talking. I know. Believe me. I know. And I obviously don't have all the answers or explanations, but right now, Mama, I'm starting to feel it. Deep down, I'm understanding on some level, I can't even articulate that it's true. And for some reason, it's urgent. We, you and I, must remain connected. You must remain connected to Sybil. And your doctor out in space? To what is he supposed to remain connected? What or who? I don't know. Maybe to me? To the Earth? Or to all the people he's lost? It's all too strange for me, Liebchen. It's too strange for me, too. I like facts, and I like rules, and I like principles that do not change. But these things that have been happening, the sabotage of the ship, the man who apparently put all of his crewmates in a sub-zero freezer, the suicide of a woman who was mentally perfectly healthy, and the sole survivor in the ship hearing mysterious voices that say the same thing as the voices I heard. All the things I've studied and done and worked on, they, they didn't prepare me for this. For any of this. And that's why I'm eager to get back to mission control now, and why I can't tell you how long I'll be there. What is that control now that was not there before? Oh, I, I may not have told you. We have the audio journals that were recorded by the guy who we think, caused all of this trouble in the first place. And today we're going to play back some of those recordings, and I am almost entirely certain that after all of these insane events, after all the mysteries, starting today, we are going to finally get some answers. Relativity, episode 34, in which she changes her mind. Written, directed, and produced by Lee Shackelford. Featured in the cast were Clarence Brown, Scotty Moore, Lee Shackelford, Alana Jordan, and Stephanie Lindsay. The part of central computer Nadia was played by herself. Find out much more about the series, including ways you can subscribe, hear past episodes, like us on social media, and how you can get exclusive content, all on our website at relativitypodcast.com. Relativity.